You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. In 1983, which was the year that I was born, uh, Robert Duvall uh, played a washed-up country music singer in the Academy Award-winning movie Tender Mercies. Any Tender Mercies fans in here? Anybody? Didn't think so. Um, well, at, at one point, Mac, uh, again, is played by Robert Duvall, is pulling together a string of dead-end jobs. He's battling the bottle, and him and his Stepson Sonny, who you see in this picture, they decided to go to the local church and be baptized. And later on in the movie, uh, Sonny looks at Mac and he says, you know, he said, I remember people telling us that when we give our life to Jesus, we're going to feel different. He said, uh, Mac, you feel any different? And Mac responded by saying, not yet. And he goes, yeah, you don't look any different either. And he said, do I look different? And Mac said, no, not yet. As I think about that movie, I think about this is something that more and more people in the church that I meet feel. It's this feeling of, you know, I've been baptized, I've given my life to Jesus, I've claimed to be a Christian for a long time, but really I don't feel any different. In fact, as I look over my life, I'm not sure I even look that different. Despite the fact that I attend the Sunday gathering regularly, I read my Bible daily, I despite the fact I'm, I'm, I'm in community and I've listened to sermon after sermon after sermon and uh, podcast after podcast and I've read book after book after book, I don't feel that much different. Maybe for some of you, you sit here today and you still find yourself racked with anxiety. Maybe you still struggle with the same sins over and over. Maybe you continue to yell at your kids or look at porn or disobey your parents or maybe you, you know, spend more money than you need to spend to impress people you don't even know or maybe you find yourself living with this constant sense of discontentment or discouragement or maybe even depression and therefore as a result you kind of wonder like what gives like if like if Jesus really is who he says that he is why don't I really feel that different why don't I really look that different and maybe for you you're starting to wonder is change possible like am I actually able to change this unwanted behavior that keeps cropping up in my life and according to Jesus in John uh, chapter 15, the answer to that question is yes. We can experience true, radical, inside-out transformation. And Jesus shows us how this is possible. If you look back with me, chapter 15, started in verse 1. <clears throat> Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. As many of you know, my wife and I have kept a garden for the last 12, 13, 14 years. Uh, we like to garden, and, and, and the reason that we garden, the reason that we you know, create this little plot of land, and we work in the soil, we plant seeds, and we weed, and we fertilize, and we do all that stuff is because ultimately we want those seeds to mature. We want them to grow and produce a harvest, to produce a fruit. And what Jesus says here is, yeah, that's what God wants to be true of your life. God is a gardener, and gardeners want things to grow. And so God wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. He wants you to produce fruit. And here's how big of a deal this is. He says, if you don't produce fruit, what will happen? What does it say in the text? 
He'll cut you off. And if you do produce fruit, what will happen? He will prune you so that you produce more fruit. Now, I don't know what you know about pruning, but it's not, uh, it's not like the greatest thing in the world. As far as if you're being pruned, it don't feel great. I was talking with Frank Williams, uh, who is a, a, a part of the Crossing Church, him and his family on Scatter Creek Berries. And I asked him this week, hey, describe to me what happens in the pruning process. And he sent me this text. He said this. He says, pruning is the process of removing up to 30% of a plant's branches. If done right, once complete, he said the plant will look dead. He said, in fact, there are times even as a seasoned pruner, I'll look back at a plant and be like, uh-oh, I killed it. Like, I destroyed it. So it's a pretty kind of harsh, violent-looking act. But, but notice what he says next. He says, however... It is through the removal of unwanted limbs that the gardener is able to direct the nutrients in such a way that it causes the plant to produce fruit that is both larger and sweeter than ever before. And you see, that's what God will do in your life. If you don't produce fruit, Jesus says he'll cut you off. If you are producing fruit, he's going to prune you for what purpose? So that you can produce more fruit. It's important that you hear that because sometimes if you're like me, it's like I can hang my spiritual hat on last year's fruit. Anybody ever do that? It's like, man, God, I gave a lot to you last year. So I think I'm good for a while. And God's like, no, 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 no. Like, like, I want you to continue to live a life that is more and more fruitful. And sometimes he'll use discipline. He'll, he'll use suffering. He will use hardship to prune us to create more fruit in our life. And listen, here's just what I want you to see. My point in sharing that is to say this. Clearly, according to the scriptures, God cares about fruit. He wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. God doesn't just, he wants you to reject this, this, this kind of religious South spirituality that says all that he really wants is for you to pray a prayer, ask Jesus into your heart, and then wait to die and go to heaven. Like that's not God's plan for your life. He, he wants you to be a person who has a fruitful life. So the question we should be asking is what role are we to play in this process? What do we need to do on our end if we are going to produce a fruit that is glorifying to God? And if you just keep reading, Jesus tells us in just three short words. He says this in verse 4, remain in me. Want to grow? Do you want to mature? Is there things in your life that you're like, yeah, I wish I could kind of change that? Uh, do you want to become more and more of a person that, that looks like Jesus and therefore your true and better self? Well, look at this. Ten times, ten times in just 11 verses, Jesus commands us. He says, remain in me. Now that word remain in the Greek is the word meno. Okay. Um, and you can see in here, it can be translated as remain, which it is in my NIV, or it can be translated as abide, make your home in or relax in. And so here's what I want you to see real quick. Listen, according to Jesus, how are you going to become the man or woman you long to be? It is not primarily through activity. It is through intimacy. It is through learning how to spend time with Jesus on a regular, daily basis. This is why in Mark chapter 3, it says this. Jesus, when he went up on a mountainside, he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. In verse 14, he appointed the 12, talking about the first 12 disciples, that they might what? Be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. So notice here that ministry flows out of intimacy. Before they go do all the fun stuff, driving out demons and doing the miracles, all the cool stuff that God did, right, that Jesus did, they first had to learn how to be with 
Jesus. And guys, that word with is a powerful word. Like we all long to be with someone else. The reason you get married is you want someone who you can go through life with. The reason that we have birthday parties is because we know when times are great, we want to have uh, times where we celebrate that with someone. When we have funerals or go through hardship or in the hospital, uh, we want someone there with us. With is a powerful word. And what we learn is that the people that we surround ourselves with are oftentimes the very people we become like. You know, one of the most fascinating stories to ever come out of Paragold is the story about Dr. Jones and his wife who were murdered off King's Highway by a serial killer by the name of Leroy Bullock back in 1988. Uh, I'm, I'm currently on a text thread right now with a few attorneys, a detective, uh, Ryan Vaughn's uh, participating in this, and then Julie, who's a part of our church, she's kind of a genealogy expert. And we're kind of digging up all this information because a local attorney is planning to write a book on this exact story. And so it's been fun to kind of dive back into it. And one of the things I've learned is as we studied the life of Leroy Bullock is to no surprise, this guy didn't just wake up one day and decide to be a monster. He came from a family that was marked by crime. His brother also ended up being a murderer. His dad was in and out of prison, escaped several times. Like his little brother was ran over by a tractor and killed whenever he was eight. I mean, there's all this dysfunction, crime and, and, and robbery and murder in his past. And as I've looked at his story, which is kind of an extreme example, but as I look at it, I'm reminded once again that the people that we spend our time with, for better or for worse, determines the kind of people we often become. And that is why John 15 is so important. Because if you want to grow, if you want to mature into the best version of yourself, Jesus says we have to spend regular daily time walking with him. Again, in verse 6, look with your own eyes. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, what is the promise? Look, you will bear much fruit. Not you might. Not It's a possibility. Like if you... Remain in me. If you spend your days with me, you, he says, will bear fruit. Now that begs the question. What kind of fruit is Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about the fruit of love. If you keep reading this passage, we didn't put it on the screen earlier, but if you look down in your own Bible in verse 12, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then again in verse 17, this is my command, love each other. John, who would have been hearing this, he went on in 1 John 4, 8, and he says, because God is love, he wants you and me to become people of love. And according to Jesus in John 13, 35, he says, it's by this the world will know you're my disciples. How? By the mighty, powerful things you do? No. By this the world will know you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. That's why in verse 8, it's what he's talking about here. He says, it's through my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so with that being said, let me just step back for a second. And let's talk about this. How can I know if I am abiding in the vine? How can you know if you are abiding with the vine? How can you know if you're spending your days in the presence of Jesus, aware of Jesus, connected to Jesus? And the answer is not, well, I'm reading my Bible daily. That's not how you can know. There's a lot of people who read their Bibles daily and they come out uh, unchanged, like at all. It's not through scripture. It's not through prayer primarily that you're going to be able to, to look and see those things are great, but that's not how you know if you've been abiding in the vine. Like how can you know what is the fruit that'll be popping up in your life that'll show that I have been 
abiding in the vine. And it's the fruit of love. It's the fruit of love. And so the question you should be asking is this, and I'll put it on the screen for you. If you want to know, have I been abiding in the vine, ask yourself this, am I increasingly being known as a person of love by those who know me the best? And that know me the best is really important because let me just be honest with you guys, it's really easy for me to be loving to you for an hour on Sunday. I can do that. No matter how bad of a mood I'm in, I can put on my happy face, I can be kind to you as I should. But I'll tell you, it's a lot harder to do that with my wife and my kids who see me all the time, or my staff, or whoever, those closest to me. So that's the question. Am I increasingly being known as a person of love by the people who know me the best? And so here's some questions I've been asking myself this week. Is my tone that I use with my spouse becoming more gentle or becoming more harsh? That's a good determining factor if I've been abiding in the vine. Am I becoming more patient with my kids? That's a good indicator of whether or not I've been abiding in the vine. Would my neighbors and those closest to me saying that I'm increasingly becoming a person of compassion and empathy? Would my staff, those that I work with every day, would they say that I'm increasingly becoming open to interruptions and that I'm able to slow down and put aside my busy work and just be present in the moment? Or is it obvious whenever they're talking to me, my mind is somewhere else. I'm already thinking about the task I've got to knock out so I can get out of here and do the really important work rather than being with you. That's a really good indicator of whether or not we're abiding in the vine. Because you see, more than anything else, love is the litmus test. It, more than anything, reveals if we have been spending time with Jesus. If I have been spending time in Scripture, I didn't say this in the first service, but I, I think it's worth mentioning. If I've been spending time in the Scripture, in the mornings, which I do every morning, and in prayer, and all of a sudden I'm interrupted by my kids or by my wife, and I jump at them, I've not been spending time abiding in the presence of God. I've been doing religious stuff. I've been being a good little church boy and reading my Bible and praying, but I've been doing that as a religious checkbox, not actually spending time with Jesus. Because when you spend time with Jesus, what happens? You will bear fruit. And again, it's the fruit of love. And so get this image in your mind. Uh, I think we put it on the screen. We have a picture of those grapes we can put up there. Um, by the way, thanks to our slide people all the time. I know you have had a lot of technical difficulties today, and we never even say thank you, but we sure notice when you mess up. So appreciate your work. Thank you for what you do. Even whenever y'all mess up, it's great. Um, anyways, this is the correct slide. Think about this, Okay. Um, you, you really can't see it, but here's how this, these grapes got to where they were on this branch. There's a vine connected to the ground, and then from out of that vine, the branch comes, and then there's just grapes that appear. Now, how did the branch produce those grapes? It did not sit there and be like, you can do it. Believe in yourself. Come on. Grapes. Grape city. Let's do it. Like, like, like that's not what happened. It just stayed connected to the vine. And the vine pulled nutrients from the soil and living sap began to flow into the branches. And then involuntarily, here comes the grapes. Guys, that is how the Christian life works. We do not become like Christ by trying harder to be better. Just, come on, man, I'm going to love people today. I can do it. Like, like, if you try to become more of a person of love through willpower, it will work for a little bit. It really will. But here's the problem with willpower. Willpower fades as the day goes on. 
That's why you can say no to a donut in the morning, but not to the ice cream or the scoop of ice cream at night. Because willpower, you only have so much of it. And so if you're trying to love people in your own power, you are going to constantly be exhausted. One way that I can know I've been trying to love you in my own power rather than Christ is I walk away from that moment exhausted. Even if you felt loved by me, it was all of my energy, and I gave it all that I got to listen and to care for you, but I left wore out because I was loving you through my own power, not through the power of Christ in me. We do not become more people of love through willpower, but through abiding by remaining in the perfect love of the unconditional, uh, the perfect unconditional love of Jesus. And that's what he goes on to say in verse 9. He says, just as the Father has loved me. Listen to this. It should blow your mind if you believe this. Just as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. And that's the hard part. It is so much easier to say, yeah, Jesus loves me in the same way that God the Father loves him. It's so much easier to say that than it is to experience that. And that is why I've realized this isn't just true of me, it's true of each of you. And that is why Megan and I talked about this yesterday. I feel like my preaching has changed drastically over the last 12 years in and, and, and this way. I felt like when I first started preaching, my job was to convince you that you're lost. And now I truly believe my job is to try to convince you you're loved. Because if you can believe you're loved, everything else works itself out. I want so bad for you guys, man, to just... I was talking to Jody about this because I know, I know what you guys are going through. I know everybody in here has got your own battle. You've got your own struggles. And it's like, I, I've come to a place where I've realized it does not matter how good I preach. It does not matter how good the band is or who we have. We've got like six worship leaders. It doesn't matter which worship leader is up here. It doesn't matter what programs we do. Like what you need more than anything else is to know in the deepest part of your being that I am loved by Jesus, and that nothing, nothing can ever change that reality. You know, David Benner, he, he once did a survey. I love David Benner. He's one of my favorite authors right now. And he did a survey where he asked people, hey, what do you think comes to mind when God thinks of you? You know what the number one response was from, his, uh, from the respondents? Disappointed. Because I know I don't read my Bible enough. I know I don't give enough money. I know I don't pray enough. I know I don't serve enough. I know I'm not a great enough spouse. I know I'm this. I know I'm that. I know, and surely, because of all this stuff that I still struggle with, God must, when he looks at me, be disappointed. And you know what the problem with that view of God is? The Bible. Do you realize that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, even if your faith is just as small as a mustard seed, that according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, you have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's why the writer of Hebrews says that, that you look perfect in the eyes of God. It's why whenever Paul writes to the church in Corinth, it's a wild church. It's a crazy church. They're jacked up. Like, like they're, they're, they're insane. Like, like getting drunk off communion wine. Like one dude is having sex with his stepmom. And yet... Paul, when right into the church in Corinth, addresses them. He doesn't say, you bunch of big, fat sinners. Instead, he says, to the saints, to the holy ones. What's that about? Does Paul not have a theology of sin? I'll read Paul's letters. He clearly had a good theology of sin. But what Paul realized is your behavior does not define you. 
You might have sinned, but that's not who you are. If you are in Christ, you are clean, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are pure, you are perfected by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is why, no matter who you are, where you come from, according to the prophet Zephaniah, right now, you know what God is doing when he looks at you? If you're in Christ, listen, he is rejoicing over you with singing. When God looks at you, his thoughts are not thoughts of disappointment. It's thoughts of delight. This is why the psalmist says in Psalm 139, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. Have you ever talked to God that way? (sighs) Golly, God, like you have so many precious thoughts about me. Wow. I can't even count all the precious thoughts you have about me, God. Do you know God in this way? See, Tim Keller says the scandalous good news of the gospel is that you're worse than you could ever imagine, but you're more loved than you ever dreamed. Don't be shocked by how big of a sinner you are. Come on, guys. Were we really that prideful that we thought we were just barely bad enough to need hell? Like, we were really, really bad. And we still really are on our best days compared to the holiness of God. Pretty bad people. Don't be shocked by that. What I want us to be shocked by and then begin to be comfortable with is is just how much God loves us. Yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you have sinned against a holy God. Yes, according to the prophet Isaiah, even on your best days, your righteousness is a filthy rag before God, which means you cannot, even on your best days, impress God. And that is really bad news. But here's the good news. You don't have to impress God. Guys, Christian, listen. Our hope today, our confidence that God loves us and that nothing will ever separate us from that love, our confidence and hope does not come from our performance. It comes from the performance of Jesus on our behalf. And it's only whenever this truth begins to settle down into your heart where you begin to freely and effortlessly love others, and not with your love, but with the love of God that is flowing through you like sap into your heart and out of your life. All of that energy that once was being wrapped up in your bathroom comparisons. All that energy you spent where you were sad every time that somebody you didn't like succeeded. Or the times that you were happy that someone that you didn't like failed. All of the energy you used obsessing over your finances. And this, this trying to push down this internal rage you feel whenever you, you feel like you're out of control. All of the, this, this energy of, uh, of trying to deal with your shame. All of that, when you find yourself in the love of God, listen, what happens is that energy is released and redirected through acts of loving even those around you who deserve it the least. That's what the love of Jesus does for those who learn to spend their days with him. And so please hear me today, guys. Listen. Again, the Christian life, you have to get this today, is not primarily about activity. It is about intimacy. The Christian life is not primarily about rules. It is about a relationship. It is not primarily about doing things for God. It is about friendship with God. And that's what Jesus says in verse 15. He says, I no longer call you my servants. I call you friends. I wonder today. I wonder if somebody came up to you and said, how would you... Sum up the Christian life in just a few words. What would you say? You know what Jesus would say? He would say, you want to sum up the Christian life in a few words? Here it is. Abiding friendship. That's it. 
Guys, what, what God is after is not an ever-perfecting spiritual performance from you. He's after a personal and intimate relationship with you. And I'll tell you, man, one of the saddest things to me is that if you grew up in the religious South like me, that is really, really, really hard for you to believe anything that I've just said. It just isn't connecting. It's maybe connecting here, but it's not moving down into here. And, And man, if that's where you are, I want you to know like you're not alone. And it's not even your fault. Um, you know, I, I met with, uh, as, as you guys know, I meet with a spiritual director monthly. And one of the things that he helped me to realize last year is that I would rather view God as a commanding officer than a loving father. I would rather go to God for activity rather than intimacy. God, here I am again. Tell me what I need to do as a pastor. Tell me how to knock it out. Tell me who to share the gospel with. Tell me where I sucked it up today. And like, I'm going to make it better. And I think a big part of that is because I, I still feel like God's work is largely dependent on what I do for him. And so if I perform really well, he's proud of me. But if I don't perform really well, he wants to punish me. And listen, I get it. Like, I've preached Romans 8.1. You, you know the verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But again, it's so easy to preach that. So much harder to live that. And that is why over the last several months, what I just feel God saying to me over and over again is just, Son, just take me at my word. Just trust that I love you as much as I say that I do. Stop letting your feelings control you. Define your reality. Guys, listen, some of you here right now, you're like, man, I don't feel like God loves me. Well, hey, your feelings aren't the final authority in your life. God's word is the final authority. And God says, I love you, even if you don't feel like I love you. Would you just be humble enough to believe that? Jesus says, just as the Father has loved me, With this eternal love, so I have loved you. Now remain in that love. Guys, that is the goal of the Christian life. And if we don't get this, there's nothing else that we can do that matters. Nothing else we do matters. And that is why over the next five to six weeks, my plan is just to try to share with you what I think a life of abiding looks like. To do my best to share with you what I've been trying to learn and implement into my own life to show you how to abide in the love of Jesus. And not just here on a Sunday, but in the everyday. But before we get there, And before we close this morning, here's a question I have for you. Do you even want that? Like, like, does that sound appealing to you? Like, do you like, do you want yourself to be with Jesus? You know, I was talking with Brooke this past week who you know, has had one of the hardest years of anybody I know in our church. And she told me, she said, you know, Jared, as I look forward to 2024, I want to spend more time with Jesus. And she said, not because I want to become a better person, but I want to spend more time with Jesus because I want to experience more of his love, which in turn, she says, I know will make me a better person. And she's right. 
Guys, the reason that we spend time with Jesus is not because he makes us a better person. That's not the goal. The goal is not, yeah, I want more of Jesus so I can be less anxious, so I can be a better man or I can be a better woman. Like, you want to know what the best part is about following Jesus? Jesus. And I just wonder today, like, do you believe that is true? Do you even want to spend time with Jesus? The question is not, do you want to go to heaven? My question is, do you want to spend time with Jesus? Because, listen, if the idea of spending time with Jesus doesn't appeal to you, if that seems boring to you, you're going to hate heaven. Because in heaven, Jesus will be unavoidable. And if that's where you are this morning, listen, I'm really glad you're here. And I hope you keep coming back. As we say before, the Crossing Church is a place where you can belong even before you believe. But here's just what I, I want to say. Like, what I want you to know today is, listen, if you choose not to abide in Jesus, you will abide in someone or something. In other words, you will try to connect to someone or something in order to try to find the life and the love that you're longing for. And so here's the question today, guys. Listen to me. The question is not, are you abiding? It's who or what are you abiding in? For some of you, maybe you're looking to popularity. For others, it's, it's pleasure. Or it's possessions. Or it's your performance. And I just want to ask you, like, if that's where you are, like, how is that working for you? Because from my experience, like, when I look to popularity for, for, for you know, the, to get the approval of others, the applause of others, when I look to to that for my ultimate source of love and life, you know what I end up feeling? Oftentimes overlooked and rejected. And then I fall into self-pity. Woe is me. It doesn't help. If I try to abide in this idea of pleasure, like, man, I just want to do whatever I want, whenever I want. Like, that's how I'm going to find life. Like, no one deny me of my desires. What I want to do, what happens? I become a slave to those desires. And I experience less freedom. Whenever I try to find life and love and my possessions and getting more stuff, you know what happens? I just want more stuff. I become even more discontent. Whenever I look to my performance as a pastor, how did I preach today? How did I lead today? How did I do this today? You know what happens? I don't end up feeling more love in life. I end up feeling exhausted and overwhelmed because I never feel like I can quite do enough. And so I just want to ask you today, not like, are you abiding? Who or what are you abiding in? What are you looking to for your source of life and love? And the question today is, how is that working for you? watched a documentary a few years ago. It's called God is Bigger Than Elvis. It's about a woman named Dolores Hart who was a Hollywood scarlet. I believe we can put a picture of her on the screen. And, and she was literally living the dream in Hollywood back in the 1950s and 60s. I mean, she was in, uh, you know, basically every movie with, with like all the famous people. I mean, you see her right here in a movie with Elvis. And, but then something happened in her life that changed everything. She got this huge deal from Hollywood. She got engaged. And she said, hey, before I get married, I'm going to go off to this abbey in Connecticut. I'm just going to like do a silent retreat, and, and then I'll be ready to get married. But while she was there at this abbey in Connecticut, her heart was pierced. She met the real Jesus. And as a result, she actually went back to Hollywood. She broke off her engagement. And then while wearing her wedding dress, she goes back to this abbey, decides to become a nun, and she vows to be the bride of Christ. She says, I want to give my life to the lover of all lovers. I'm going to give up all of my fame and all of my fortune to just spend my days with Jesus. It's a really incredible story about a woman who found something that all of us in here long for 
which is to be known, to be long, and be loved. And what's fascinating to me is think about this. This is an award-winning documentary that first aired on HBO. Like Game of Thrones, HBO. You can watch it for free on YouTube now, but, but it came out on HBO. Like they're the ones who first aired it. And listen, it was a documentary put together, and it wasn't dismissive. It wasn't condescending. They were just saying, look, hey, here's a woman in Hollywood who had it all, and she gave it away to become celibate and poor because she wanted to experience more of Jesus. And here's what's crazy. HBO actually portrays it as a beautiful option. And here's why I think that is, because we are living right now in a moment in history and our culture where more and more people have experienced everything the world has to offer but has been left unfulfilled. By and large, guys, as Americans, we have access to more money and more sex and entertainment and travel and digital freedom than ever before. But after exhausting all of these options, more and more people are realizing it's not working. And therefore, HBO says, hey, if you're looking for a better option... Here's one. Here's the option, HBO says, and what is it? Abiding in the vine. Spending a lifetime with Jesus. They say it seems to work for this woman. And so if you're here today and you feel discontent, you feel unsatisfied, if you're like, man, is there more to life than this? Take it from HBO (laughs) and from the scriptures. Yeah, there is more. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, not if you remain in your pastor, not if you remain in your parent, not if you remain in your performance or your friends, your spouse, your kids. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. You will receive the love you've been longing for. And out of that life, love will flow. But apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. So with that today, I want to move into a time of communion. I'm going to invite our communion servers to come forward and our band to come forward. And I want you to just remember this reality. As you come forward and you partake of communion today, remember this, guys. At the cross, Jesus was cut off from God's love so that you never have to be cut off from God's love. At the cross, think about this. Jesus, the one who was loved from eternity past by the Father, when he cries out in his final hour, he doesn't say, my Father, my Father, this is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God cut Jesus off on the cross from his love so that you never have to be cut off from his love. And today, I want you to come and be reminded of that reality through communion. Even if you don't feel God's love, especially if you don't feel God's love today, but if you've trusted in Christ, come. We'll tear off a piece of bread for you, which represents the perfect life of Jesus that he lived on your behalf. It'll be dipped into the juice, which represents his blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. If you want, there's a a self-serve gluten-free option over here. You can partake that way. And then if you choose to do so, you can respond through giving. And giving for us is not just like something we do to keep the lights on. Sure, it is that. But way more than that, this is something that God commands us to do to free up our hearts to remember all that he's done for us. And if you want to give, you can see there's four different ways that you can do that. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, man, today, man woman, teenager, God loves you. Like, he really, really does. And I know, like, some of you have gone through some crap, man. Like, you, you've, you've gone through some really hard stuff. And it sucks, and it hurts, and you're like, God, where are you? And he just wants you to know, like, he's always been there. He's never turned his back on you. 
And my prayer for you today is that, man, that you would receive that love. Surrender to that love. Don't try to clean yourself up. Don't try to get every question answered. Just say, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I admit that I've done some really bad things and that I am deserving of hell. But I trust that everything I need is found in you. That through you alone is forgiveness. Through you alone is fulfillment. Through you alone is the salvation and the satisfaction that I need. Today, can you just humble yourself just enough to trust that God loves you as much as he says that he does? If you're here today and you have questions about your faith, if you just need prayer, I'll be up here in the front. I have a prayer team back here in the back corner. We'd love to pray over you, pray with you, whatever the need is that you have today. Father, I thank you so much that you did not leave us to our own devices. I thank you that that your grace and your mercy and your love flows downhill and that we actually experience that the most when we get in touch with our neediness, our weaknesses. So I pray today we would stop pretending, stop hiding, stop trying to impress the other people around us and that we would just believe what has been said and that we would abide in you, not just today, but all the days of our lives, God. And that as a result, that we would increase and become a people of love. They would love, not like through willpower, but from this endless supply of eternal love that you're constantly pouring into us. And I pray that as a result, God, we would be transformed and so would the community around us. And it's in Christ that I pray and I ask these things. Amen.